Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. A recent study found that half of Chicagoans witness a shooting by age 40. And get this, the study found that the average age to witness a shooting is just 14 years old. Witnessing this carnage can cause trauma, especially in young people. That can mean everything from sleepless nights to developing substance abuse problems in the long term. To learn more, we're speaking with Judith Allen, Clinical Director and Chief Operating Officer of Communities and Schools of Chicago. Also with us is Jamia Cunningham Elder, the CEO of North Lawndale College Prep. She wrote a recent op-ed in the Chicago Sun-Times about the toll violence takes on young people and how schools can support students. And Kamaya Jones is a student at North Lawndale College Prep and member of Peace Warriors. That's a program that trains students to interrupt violence. Now, we know Memorial Day weekend unfortunately marks the spike in violence that we see in the summer months. The Chicago Sun-Times reports that it was the deadliest in eight years. At least 11 people were killed and another 46 were wounded. What are your reactions as we come out of this weekend? Well, it's one of those things that's an unfortunate um, non-surprise, right? There's a there's been a lot of talk, a lot of prep, um, spending a lot of time with the students that we that we all work with in terms of the choices they're making. Are they making the right choices going into this weekend? And obviously, we still have some some work to do. Jamia, yeah. Anytime we go into a long holiday weekend, I worry about the calls I'm going to get, um, and. Fortunately, this weekend, I have not received any calls that it was our students who were impacted, but that is a real um, thing in reality for us as educators. Yeah. Now, as a mom, I worried about sending my kids out, right? Because I I did not know what they would encounter. What about you, Kamaya? What comes to mind, you know, the day after Memorial Day weekend? I really feel like that is sad that, like, we could try to go outside and, you know, have fun, do things with our family and, you know, enjoy the holiday. But instead... We have to worry about whether we're going to get shot or if anybody around us is going to get shot or killed. Did that change the way you moved around this weekend? Yes. I stayed in the house the whole weekend, even though I wanted to go outside. Hmm. As I mentioned at the top, the, the average age to witness a shooting in Chicago, it's 14. Now, that's from a study that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. How do you even begin to process that, Kamaya? Um, For me, I witnessed the shooting when I was only eight. It was a shooting outside of my school when I was little. So it's like, although you don't want it to be normal, sometimes it's like it's bound to happen. Like you already know that something is going to happen. And that's actually sad, too. And just for reference, how old are you now? I'm 17. Wow. And, And so that's almost a decade ago, and I'm sure you still remember it. Yes. Wow. What are your thoughts on that stat? 14, Jemiah. Yes. Jemiah. So 14 is the age that we get our students in high school. So if we're saying that our students are coming into high school, particularly if they are black or Latino and they're going into high school, they're more likely to have seen or witnessed a shooting. That impacts how they're going to be educated. And so when you are choosing to do work in a community, um, of brown and black students, mm-hmm. there is this reality, the second reality of, you know, you might be dealing with trauma. And how does that impact how a student can be educated? And how does that impact how you do your job when you educate the student? Yeah, 
black and brown students are seeing these these shootings at a much higher rate than their white peers. Yes. Yes. And um, and so when we see in our classrooms or if we walk through the halls like me, I have walked through the halls and sometimes I'll see a student upset and they're not listening to a staff member or maybe they have their head down. And when you get down to it with them, you get through the breathing and the coping mechanisms. It has nothing to do with the teacher. It has nothing to do with that other classmate. It has everything to do with the situation that they're facing, which is often they've lost a family member. Mm. Typically, it's a sibling. And then when you get the parent involved, you say, your kid is not doing what they're supposed to in school. They come in. They've also lost a child. And so you're dealing with a family in crisis or a family with trauma. And then you're saying, hey, we need you to behave. We need you to follow all of the rules. Mm -hmm. You're not listening. And where I am with North Lawndale is thinking, and even with my own kids, how can I address whatever they're going through in a way that's not punitive, but that seeks to understand so that I can get to the root of it and teach them coping mechanisms so that they can access the things that they deserve to access, like education and fun. Such a good point. And I want to make sure that we are um, we're clear on something here, Judith. When we talk about witnessing a shooting, what are we saying exactly? Are, are we talking about these kids are inside while a shooting is happening maybe a block away and they're hearing the sound of gunfire or are they seeing it? Right. It can be. And this is when we, we talk about trauma. Trauma can be subjective, right? It's not about proximity. It's not about what's witnessed or what is felt in sort of the corporal sense of feeling. Um, and so it can be the trigger response to hearing gunshots and wondering, are they fireworks or are they gunshots? Children in certain communities will be able to tell you the caliber of sound that they're hearing. Mm-hmm. So that is another addition to it. So wow. we have to remember that this is this becomes a learned understanding, a learned normal, which is very, very unfortunate um, because we saw a lot of this when we when we in the sort of industry studied children who were in war torn countries um, and when they could hear incoming missile fire, mm-hmm. they, they heard that in the middle of the night. They, that was a, a trauma response that they would have. So again, trauma can be subjective depending on the child, the environment, and the history that they have. And sticking with you, Judith, I want to go back to something that Jamia mentioned, which was the fact that the age of 14 is when you're a freshman. You're entering high school. Talk about why this is such an important time in a child's mm-hmm. development and, and how that can really set the tone for the rest of their high school experience. Oh, absolutely. When you think about um, there is a, a natural level of adolescent crisis, right? So there's there's really two types of crisis. We talk about maturational crisis, which is pubescence. We all went through it. We all, those of us that are adults, we are um, we survived childhood, right? We made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's what's called situational crisis, which is the environment. The environment creates a situation that is untenable where um, trauma response kicks in. But when you have a combination of trying to survive adolescence and puberty, which is maturational, and then you put a situational crisis on top of that, then we're talking about sort of the, the double-edged sword of being able to cope with that trauma. So it becomes something that um, where we can see a physiological response because we're talking about that fight or flight, right? We're mm. talking about the cortisol levels in the brain that will go up. Um, PTSD will begin to kick in because we're seeing those triggers that they cannot 
they can't justify. You know, is this is this normal for most teenagers they're going through? No, this is something that's very unique to you. So. Yeah, talk more about those those signs of of uh, or symptoms of trauma. What what does that right. look like uh, right. in a, especially in a young person? Right, with with students that um, children that will go through a traumatic incident, we will see. I think you'd mentioned earlier the lack of sleep, mm-hmm. the difficulty interacting with others, socializing. What happens is we that that um, fight or flight gets so elevated that it's sort of uh, exposed nerve endings. Think of it that way. It gets to the point of where a child will not even know how to interact if someone bumps into them accidentally in the hallway. Everything's elevated to 10, level 10, level Mm. 10, level 10. And then after a while, that becomes very exhausting. Anger sets in, depression sets in, withdrawal sets in. Again, with every child, it's very different. But what what we tell every educator, every parent is take a look at your baseline. Is this the way your child normally behaves? I'm using air quotes, normally. Yeah. Um, and then is this, how far is this from baseline, right? And that's when you know that there's something going on. Kamaya, how, how do you, how, how often do you hear other students talking about this? Like talking about maybe losing loved ones, losing friends uh, to gun violence? Honestly, almost every day. What do the conversations sound like? It's like some, they'll say, like, everybody reacts to stuff differently. But some of the conversations that I will hear is like, I'm angry because this person is gone or I really wish that I could talk to this person again or maybe I wouldn't be the way that I am now. So they will have like conversations based off of like what would be going on if that person was still here. Mm, Really trying to grapple with the loss, it sounds like, Jamia. Yes. And back to the fight or flight, what I was trained in and what I um, was have learned is they tell me as an adult, think about if your house is on fire and someone's trying to teach you math. And that's the constant state of fight or flight. And once I put it into that perspective, I'm like, how do I work on making sure my house is not on fire before I can access anything else? Wow. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the toll that witnessing gun violence can take on young people. Our guests are Jamia Cunningham Elder, who's the CEO of North Lawndale College Prep, Judith Allen, who's the Clinical Director of Communities in Schools of Chicago, and North Lawndale College Prep student Kamaya Jones. So, folks, I want to play a clip. This is from a recent conversation that I had with a seventh grader from uh, Eberhardt Elementary that's on the southwest side. Now, she was one of the winners of a writing competition that we're going to talk about much more later. And uh, her name is Summer Bell. I want to hear a little bit of what she had to say about the effects of witnessing violence in her own life. It's really messed with the way that I live today, because sometimes it's like based on things that have happened, I've been through or things that I hear about the gun violence. And it kind of makes me scared to go out. You know, I walked home and I walked to school by myself, so it's kind of scary knowing what's going on out there. So I want to reinforce, Summer's 13 years old, right? So, so Judith, once that shock wears off, talk about the longer-term effects here that, that young people experience from witnessing gun violence. Like she just mentioned, I'm scared to walk to school. Right. And the, the unfortunate part is that the shock never completely wears off. It goes to sleep. It goes dormant. Mm. Um, it goes to the point where she gets over it. It's one of those things where um, you're able to to sustain and to function, but it's always in the back of your mind, right? Whether it be a sound, a smell, something to trigger that response again, especially if she's still living in the environment where she, that happened initially. So what are the odds of that environment changing? Right. Probably slim to nil. Sounds a lot like what you were telling me earlier, Kamaya. But your thoughts of... of- witnessing these 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 tragic events 
Honestly, first I want to say, like, her being 13, it's actually, like, real heartbreaking to know that she has to deal with that, knowing that she has to go to school, come back from school, and be worried about, like, what's going to happen to her or what's going to happen around her on her way to and from where she's supposed to be. Yeah, the conversation in total with with Summer was was tough because she has personally experienced a lot of loss, a lot of loss in her family and and among friends at such a a tender age. Uh, Your op-ed in the Sun-Times, Jamia, it brings all of this home, right? You talk about how trauma leads to uh, attendance issues, behavioral issues. Talk about what you're seeing. Yes, so we know that with the pandemic across the board, uh, schools saw just an uptick in violence in the school. We also saw that schools saw a decrease in attendance. Um, And then when you throw in, uh, so I think that's what you were talking about, Judith, earlier. It's like the double trauma. So of that age, and then you throw in the neighborhood in which some of our schools are are placed, um, where you have children who are afraid to walk to school um, or afraid of what's going to happen. It, it changes how students can show up. And so uh, sometimes that is distraction. Sometimes that is, um, you know, the bump that turns into something larger when some, usually you would just be able to walk away. Uh, it, it turns into not being able to learn or access the education in the same way um, that your peer would be able to if they haven't experienced any trauma because math is not the same math if you have a bunch of things going on in your head. Yeah. So we're clear, Judith. What's what's vicarious trauma? So vicarious trauma is when you witness trauma, um, but you're witnessing it on a regular basis. It's the oh, drip, okay. drip, drip. Drip, drip. Mm. Yeah, we see that a lot with first responders. We see that with adults as well. So with children, it's it's an additional weight. Let's hear an, another exchange. This is a conversation I had with another middle schooler. This is Jalen Trice, who's in eighth grade at Woodson Elementary in Bronzeville. I asked him where his fear of gun violence comes from. A lot of times, my mom would show me like, Jalen, come here, and show me this thing on her phone about this 13, 14, 15 year old person getting shot and like how it led up to that and stuff so that put some fear in me then i asked him how he planned on spending memorial day weekend stay in the house lock the doors and turn the ac on wow but, like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. well i'm not kidding but he says i'm kidding oh no i'm not kidding right At this point in the interview, we could actually hear him pacing back and forth, Judith. I know you were listening in. Uh, The audio quality starts to get a little difficult to hear, but uh, that moment stuck out to you. It did. Tell us why. It did, because um, it was that moment where it wasn't something where he was talking about it in the second person, like his mother telling him about something that was happening outside of their home. This, when we asked the question about himself and Memorial Day, it became personal. And it became something where it was obvious he was trying to soothe, calm, uh, focus. And that's when the pacing began. And then he kind of got, you know, made sort of side jokes. Mm -hmm. But it was something that obviously was striking closer to home. Yeah, he made a few of those. And you could tell it was just that that nervousness and that awkwardness. Yeah. So this is all very heavy, Jamia. I want to acknowledge that alongside all of the trauma and all of the stress that we've been talking about, kids are finding joy in life, too. Right? Yes. Yes. Um. I find joy watching them find joy um, because I would say that our students are, at least what I've seen at North Lawndale College Prep, they're still graduating. 
We have graduation on Saturday. Our students are still going to college. North Lawndale College Prep is the only school in Chicago that has its own scholarship program. So if you graduate as a senior with a 3.0, we have a Phoenix Pact where you can go to a partnership college with no out-of-pocket costs. And our students are still striving to get that scholarship. Nice. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure Kamaya will talk more about it, but there's a program and she's the president of it, um, where, uh, it's called the peace warriors. And when they feel like they need joy, they make sure that they tell their principals and their principals come and tell me, we need to throw a party for the students and we need to have some, some joy because they need it or, or they've, um, they've been a bit down. Um, and I feel like we are the hub in the community. Yeah. North Lawndale College Prep is the hub in the community. The families expect that we keep our, their students sa- safe, um, but that we also infuse them with joy and the skills and the web of support and the resilience to get through whatever it is they are are going through yeah. and make that next step. And we'll talk more about the Peace Warriors later in, in the program, Kamaya, but I'm curious how you are personally finding joy right now what, what's making you smile aside from everything else that's happening in all honesty like walking into the north Lawndale building is really my joy being able to leave my house and go there safely and know that i'm around people that's going to motivate me help me get to like where i need to be in my future that's something that makes me happy i look forward to being a peace warrior a student i look forward to doing everything at school really yeah, I love that. I want to talk about how the arts can help students process this trauma, Jamia. Tell us about the drama therapy that you do at your school. Yes, yeah, so drama therapy is a program that um, started out of this need for students to be able to express themselves. So um, sophomores on one of our campus take drama therapy. They learn different ways of improv, reading scripts, dance, um, and then they get to put on shorts and plays that express something that they're going through in their life. And so um, they write their own scripts, they work them out as a class, and then they get to express them and put on a showcase for um, their peers. Interesting. So what are you hearing from the students? What kind of responses is this program getting? They love drama therapy. And to be honest, if I could make drama therapy something that every student could take all year, every class year, Mm -hmm. I would... um, We are still a school. Um, And so, you know, we have to figure out um, how to make it work. But that is still got to do the reading, writing and arithmetic. (laughs) All of that. But to get it at sophomore year when we're talking about. um, So, you know, 14, they come in, they've witnessed gun violence as we're finding out. But freshman year, it's still it's such an important year to be on track. And you're kind of going from that eighth grade into I'm a full high school student. So there's a lot of support. Sophomore year is where we find that that's where our students have that, okay, I'm not a baby. Sorry if you're a freshman listening, but I'm not a (laughs) freshman, you know. Right. But I don't really have college right on my mind right now, so what is there for me? Mm -hmm. And that's the place where I find that our students can get lost. So getting this intervention of drama therapy has been really game-changing for the sophomores. Something else that I, I find game changing, Judith, is your program. So your your nonprofit communities and schools. You're, you're participating in this do the right thing uh, program. It's a writing program for middle schoolers to basically write about violence, process their thoughts, their feelings, mm-hmm. and, and think about ways to stop violence. Right. How did the program get started? The program is is almost twenty years old, and it's actually national. 
Um, so it's across the country. It's uh, It was initially funded by the Kuwaiti Foundation oh. because during the Kuwait War, they saw a lot of children that were experiencing violence. So they wanted to figure out how to channel that into a creative source. So uh, here in Chicago, uh, Communities and Schools partners with uh, Latham Watkin, the uh, law firm. And what we do is we reach out to students in middle school. And we are focusing on what are some of the things that we're witnessing. So that pre that 13 year old age, but uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And what we ask them to do, like you said, is, is to write. And it could be spoken word, poetry, short story. It could be first person. It could be anything they want. But one of the things that we've started to do is actually work with the teachers as well. So this is part of the core curriculum for Illinois State uh, English teachers. So they can use this in the classroom to help write. But we're also providing some training to the teachers so they can understand a trauma-informed lens in terms of what they're reading. Because when we talk about secondary trauma, right, we're talking about the trauma of reading something that could be damaging and harmful mm-hmm. and difficult to process. So what happens is we there is a selection of um, judges. They read through all of these. They they measure. They use a rubric to figure out you know what are our top hundred students. We had over eight hundred students this year submit. Um, those top one hundred, we had a dinner for them at UIC with their parents and their teachers. We select two students, and those two students, their written work gets bound with children from across the country. Mm-hmm. It gets bound into a book and placed in the Library of Congress. They get to go to D.C. in July with their parents yeah. and meet legislators and talk about what they're doing and why they're making the why they're writing the way they do. Um, and they get to meet students from all over the country as well. So it's and those a- those two students are who we we've been hearing from throughout the program. That's Summer Bell and Jalen Trice. They were actually the the winners of the writing contest yes. this year. I want to play another clip from from Summer. I think that writing definitely has helped. It helps me, you know, express how I feel about these type of things. And when I see everything written out on like online or on a piece of paper, it's just like helping me express the way that I feel when I can't really say it in person and I get, have time to put things into words and other people that see it could understand how I feel and get a little perspective on what's going on inside my brain and how I how they can also help cope and how they can stop the violence around them. I mean, Summer speaks so eloquently about about this issue. I, talk about the, the the samples that you got. Right, I, I saw some of the entries. Right. right, these kids are. I mean, they're writing really. In depth, right? About and, the, and they're they're digging deep, right? About personal stories, they are. And we're not focused on grammar and content. It's really about the structure of Even the word. Still, it's just you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's great and poetry, right. it's letters. It it, the, it runs the gamut. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about the impact of gun violence on students' mental health with uh, Kamaya Jones, who's a rising senior and member of Peace Warriors at North Lawndale College Prep, Jamia Cunningham Elder, who's the CEO of North Lawndale College Prep, and Judith Allen with Communities in Schools of Chicago. Jamia, describe that Peace Warriors program that you mentioned earlier and and talk about connected to helping interrupt that cycle of violence. So our Peace Warriors program started um, back in 2009 when there was an uptick in violence um, at North Lawndale College Prep. And it is rooted in kingy and nonviolence. So we have a wonderful, uh, we call him Pastor Peace, Mr. Smith advisor who advises the group. And the group... um, they work to infuse joy uh, in the school and mm-hmm. make sure that all of the students are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They make sure to let their administrators and teachers know if something is going on even outside of the building. Uh, when people, when students come in uh, who have witnessed or experienced the loss, they um, do grief runs. 
Um, and it's just really a staple in our community. Um, and I think the best part about the Peace Warriors is that it is, it is not just at North Lawndale. These students go out and they spend their summer training other students. Really? Training students at other schools. Um, Kamaya was actually trained when she was in seventh grade, I just found out today. And our goal is that if we can infuse this in the city, it is it is a North Lawndale college prep, you know, program and staple, but it really is something that can be used at other schools. Mm. How did you get involved with uh, the Peace Warriors? When I was in seventh grade, my big sister, she was graduating from North Lawndale. She wasn't a Peace Warrior at the time, but her friends were. So um, when I was in seventh grade, I was at a school that's kind of like down the street from North Lawndale, and they ended up coming to my school, and we did like a training. They took us back to North Lawndale, and we did the training, and I actually liked it, like my first time doing it. Mm. What stuck out to you that day? Honestly, um, the principles, like we was learning six principles, like Ms. Cunningham said, of Kingy and Nonviolence. And it was like different movements and songs to do with the principals. And it was like real fun learning them. Okay. Because like me and my friends, we would like do a competition of who could remember it first. Or like who could do it all and um, teach it back first. I love that. Well, I mean, I want to hear more about what your Peace Warriors works, work looks like in the day-to-day. So how do you, for instance, help stop fights from happening? Okay, so... um. Being a peace warrior, we do three things. The first thing is we are ambassadors of peace. We interrupt nonsense, and we interject love and kindness. So my job being a peace warrior is, like, it's every day, even when I'm not at school. So, like, say something happens on Saturday, but it happens on social media. Mm -hmm. I screenshot it, send it to the advisor, Mr. Smith, and he handles it with the culture member. Now, say, like, the same student, they come into school. We run something called a peace circle. So if you have, like, an issue with another like another student, we'll run something called a peace circle. Like, we all sit in a circle, and we'll, like, talk about what's actually wrong because most of the time it'd be a misunderstanding. Mm. So that really stops a lot of fights. Because that works like, so kids are open, they're receptive yeah. to that, and they participate? Yeah, we have, like, rules and guidelines. Not even, got like, rules, but we have guidelines to, like, make sure that they – adhere to what they're supposed to do so we can make sure everything is peaceful. Yeah. What kind of impact has Peace Warriors had on on you personally? Honestly, I feel like if I was not a Peace Warrior, I probably would not be as motivated as I am now. Not even that. If I wasn't at North Lawndale, I probably wouldn't be as motivated as I am now. Why do you say that? Because, like, Peace Warriors, for one, it's like a lifestyle. You can't stop doing what you're doing. You have to do it. You have to push through. Even if you do set back a little bit, you have to get right back on track. And they're going to make sure you get on track. Like, they're not going to let you give up. Yeah. So they motivate you. Even, like, even not it don't even have to be the adults. As Peace Warriors, we like a family. We will text each other and tell each other, yeah, you need to get this together. You need to figure (laughs) this out. And it's like. Accountability. Yeah, we all keep each other, like, real accountable and we make sure everything is right. Can I just ask, can you say, a, like, the three top principles that you live by? My first one, nonviolence is the way of life for courageous people. That one, I feel like that's my most important one because, like I said, this isn't something that you just do in school. You do it at the grocery store, the laundromat, anywhere. Right. The fourth one 
accept suffering without retaliation for the sake of a cause to achieve a goal. So that one, even though it's kind of a long one, it's kind of harder for people to learn that one, it's basically saying sometimes you have to accept the bad things that come to you just to get out to your good thing. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So for me, coming late to school, you get a detention. So I have to accept the suffering of getting my detention just so I can, you know, not fail advisory. (laughs) So that's um, my second. That's a good lesson. My third one, it'll probably be principle number six. The universe is on the side of justice. So no matter what happens, like karma is always going to come back to you. So you always have to remember to do the right thing or do the best thing for you and other people. These are life lessons. Yes. So these principles, when I think about what I need to do when I get up in the morning, I can hear, Kamaya, you don't know this, but I can hear you in my head. And they they don't just say it like that. She'll say, the universe is on the side (laughs) of justice. And so that's what I hear in my head. It's like a chant. Yes. Yes. And they've got moves and steps. And it's like when you hear that, when you hear this group of students saying it, it's like, Jamia, get your behind out of bed. And go go do what you need to do because they need you. I'm motivated mm-hmm. right now. Judith, uh, the National Association of Social Workers recommends that in schools where students experience a lot of trauma, there should be a ratio of one social worker per 50 students. But as the end of uh, 2022, CPS had over 20 social worker vacancies at the end of that year. How does your nonprofit fill that gap then? What we're able to filling that gap is a is a big is a big component. And what it's we're not filling gaps necessarily. We're enhancing what's happening on Mm -hmm. the campus already. Right. So we're working side by side with the counselors that are there and the social workers that are there, but also being able to provide, um, you know, some one on one, some small group work and also doing a lot of school wide work that we also do at like North Lawndale. where we're bringing in community partners that are able to fill those gaps with us. So it really is a community mentality and no one entity or organization is greater than the mission of trying to connect with these students. And um, I, I want to talk about the city here because, of course, we know we've got a brand new mayor, Mayor Brandon Johnson, has been talking a lot about his his initial priorities in office. Violence is, of course, at the top of that list. Now, his approach to preparing for it over the holiday weekend was to step up police patrols in all areas of the city. Um, He announced investments in youth programming as well and and, uh, sending peacekeepers to the neighborhoods. What do you think about that strategy? Um, I think it's a strategy. Right. Um, but I think that there's there's three components of students that we need to really focus on is the fact we always talk about code switching, right, about kids. And we even for us as adults, we were that way. There was the you that was in school. Then there was the you that was at home, mm-hmm. right, and outside of school. But now there's a, a third tier, and that's the social media you. So we're seeing violence in schools, we're seeing out of school, and then we're seeing it triggered by what's happening on social media. So we need to find something that's able to correlate the three of those things together to be able to reach students. We have these rallies. I see a lot of adults. I see a lot of cared, really caring allies Mm -hmm. in this work, but I'm not seeing the students. I'm not seeing them out there. So I think we really need to look to how do we involve the students in their own success as well. Jamia, what do you want to see change maybe on a city level to, to support the work that you're doing with the students. Yeah, I really believe just based on what the, the mayor has said when he was campaigning that this idea of communities and schools coming together and bringing parents to the table um, is, is going to be super beneficial. No one entity can do it alone. 
I really think that we have to look at our our schools as hubs of places where you get students and parents. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, a great place to start and then bring the students to the table um, and hear what it is, because I think that we think we know what the impetus is for any of these situations. Um, They actually know it's it's their lives. Um, And what I keep hearing um, and seeing on social media and the news is like these, you know, these kids or they, their parents and, you know, it's always negative. And I'm just thinking, you mean these babies like our children mm-hmm. who witness gun violence before the age of 14, some of which some of you will never experience. And you have a lot to say about what they should do differently. Mm. So I am um, walk a mile in their shoes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I'm fully on board with anybody who wants to bring the students to the table, their parents, and the community. I'll give you the last word, Kamaya. What do you want to see change? Just to help you and your peers have a a better life, a safer life. Honestly, I feel like the the idea of bringing the police to our communities, that can be like a advantage and a disadvantage. But I feel like like more programs and being more of a community will probably help because if you really think about it, it wasn't always like this bad. When I was kind of younger, we would have, like, block parties and programs, like, around the block. And it would be, like, real good to be around people. Like, not really worried about my phone, just outside with my friends. But now we don't have that because Mm -hmm. there's too many things happening in our communities. So I feel like those type of programs and bringing them back, that would be way better than what it is right now. That's a great idea. We'll leave it there. We've been talking with Kamaya Jones, who's a rising senior and member of Peace Warriors at North Lawndale College Prep. We've also been talking with Jamia Cunningham Elder, who's CEO of North Lawndale College Prep, and Judith Allen, Clinical Director of Communities in Schools of Chicago. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Stephanie Kim. Hear from more people in our community making a difference by subscribing to the Reset Podcast. We share critical conversations like this one Monday through Friday with a bonus episode on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Tune in tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.